Welcome to Season 2 of the Inclusive School Spotlight podcast series, brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. This season, we are talking all about shifting mindsets. The Inclusive School Spotlight series highlights schools that are using innovative and promising practices to improve learning opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. I'm your host, Cashay Owens, joined by my co-host and colleague, Laura Stellatano. We are excited to introduce you to Creative Minds International Public Charter School in Washington, D.C. Creative Minds enrolls about 580 students, 23% of whom are students with disabilities, and about 19% come from homes where English is not the primary language. I'm joined by the Director of Inclusion, Dr. Emmanuel Taiwo, to talk about how the school supports students with disabilities and others with diverse learning needs through the use of evidence-based practices and building staff capacity. Dr. Taiwo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. We are so excited to learn a bit more about Creative Minds International Charter School. Tell us a bit about the mission and its approach to learning and what makes it a great place to learn for all students. Good. So Creative Minds International Public Charter School embraces an inclusive and child-centered approach to education, and this respects the integrity of all students. Um, we try as much as possible to strike a unique balance in education by taking a global approach to learning, uh, while also maintaining focus and attention on the development of the individual students. So our mission is to cultivate within all our students the mindset, the skills, the creativity, and commitment to equity essential in becoming a globally aware and independently minded citizens. Um, we have a holistic education model which takes into consideration that children's progress in key social and cognitive developmental milestone is essential to personal and academic success. Um, and so based on our approach to inclusion and equity, and also through the lens of our international curriculum, you know, as I mentioned before, um, our students in preschool through eighth grade gain an understanding of and appreciation and respect for differences of all kinds, um, making them confident, culturally aware citizen or individuals capable of succeeding in a diverse and global society. Um, so that's what we believe in and that's what we do. I love to hear how sort of that international perspective is so deeply intertwined with thoughts around inclusivity. I think that's so interesting. Um, another thing that I think we are intrigued to learn about is how Creative Minds approaches um, the role of research uh, to really ensure that you understand what works for specific types of learners and to really rely on evidence-based practices. Can you talk a bit about how this works at your school and how you operationalize this? Thank you. Um, we continue to prioritize professional development and coaching in order to ensure that teachers and our service providers are equipped to support students and to ensure inclusion and inclusive education for all students. Um, we strongly believe in research-based practices, evidence-based practices, as you said, and we, we've invested a lot 
into professional development and ensuring that our school staff have the knowledge required to support all students. For example, our staff members participate in school-wide professional development on Fridays. Every Friday we have early dismissal and that gives us the opportunity um, to meet as, as whole school staff members and look into instructional practices, evidence-based practices, uh, implementation of curriculum to better support all students. Our instructional coaches also provide instructional support and guidance to teachers uh, during this time. Um, we heavily involve our instructional coaches in the planning process, you know, instructional planning and implementation. Um, they conduct classroom observations, they provide feedback to teachers, and the school leadership also leverages classroom walkthroughs to improve teaching and learning in the school. You know, we, as I said before, we believe in evidence-based practices, and we also believe that in order for that to be, in order for the practices to be implemented effectively or carried out with fidelity, um, there's a need for coaching support and data-driven decision-making at the leadership level and also in day-to-day -day activities happening around the school and in the classroom. Uh, for example, the walkthrough instruction leadership team uh, conduct walkthroughs to gather data and get a sense of the current instructional practices and the classroom culture. Um, they are not intended for formal teacher evaluation purposes, uh, but walkthroughs you know, enable the leadership team to make decisions that are grounded in evidence from the classroom. You know, so with that, we are able to make um, solid decisions around evidence-based practices and what the instructional direction needs to be for the school moving forward uh, based on the mission and the, the goals for the school year. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like there's so much intentionality behind that. Do you have a favorite success story that comes to mind? Yes, we have a lot. Um, so I would say That's always good. <laughs> yeah, when we returned back last year, you know, from uh, virtual learning to in-person, um, we saw a spike in student behavior, you know, and we also know from research that 80 to 90% of student behavior are caused by, you know, lack of appropriate instruction based on what we know from research. So we invested a lot into ensuring that teachers in particular are equipped with the knowledge to implement you know, evidence-based practices, as well as we look into, you know, different options for our curriculum, especially in literacy. In lower school, for example, um, the, the leadership team introduced the My View literacy, you know, uh, curriculum and provided training and coaching around its implementation. And with that, we are beginning to see a shift in teacher practices and also a drop in the in office referral for behavior, you know, support and incident. Um, so I think that is one good thing that we've noticed um, on a wider scale. And we've had 
individual students' testimonies as well. You know, when students came back from the pandemic, we we had, as I said, we had a lot of, you know, issues with behaviors and things like that. But we were able to put the team together, multidisciplinary team together, to really look into these individual students and leverage on our resources as well as, you know, our staff expertise to support the students, you know, collaborating with the family, gathering data in different settings and putting plans in place to support these specific students, as well as providing additional support like counseling, you know, and, you know, reviewing the IEP to see what additional supports are needed in order for the student to be able to participate fully in the general education classroom. And with that, we're able to see a lot of changes and students um, students benefited a lot from it. Wow, that's that's so great to hear, especially when you have just really clear examples of what you're doing is working. Um, and you've highlighted how important the professional development piece is. Can you maybe talk a bit more about how you approach training and development for staff at Creative Minds? Sort of how do you get their buy-in and, and what support do you think that they, they need to be effective and inclusive? Thank you for that question. That's an important one. Um, so we recognize that in order to effectively educate our students, you know, there's a need for high quality professional development around high leverage practices or evidence-based practices in the classroom. So as I mentioned earlier, our staff participate in the school-wide professional development on Fridays, and we try to avoid the train and hope model um, where teachers attend a PD session in which they are expected to grasp the information and then take it back to the classroom to apply with little to no follow-up support. We try to avoid that as much as possible. And we know from research that a train and hope model translates to the lowest fidelity of implementation rates, according to you know, several research studies. Instead of that, we adopt and support the implementation of a professional development model that helps teachers develop both content knowledge and evidence-based practices in conjunction with ongoing on-site coaching that leads to improved student learning outcomes. Um, some folks in the research community refer to this model as instructional practice-based coaching. Um, in other words, combining um, training, professional development with coaching support. Um, so we engage our three instructional coaches. Currently we have three instructional coaches in the building. Um, each one for each of the school. Um, and they, they are fully engaged in this process. You know, um, they, they support teachers with planning, they support teachers with implementation of curriculum, they support teachers with collecting data, they support, you know, other staff members as well. For example, the related service providers also collaborate with teachers to ensure that whatever is going on in, in the session, are also being transferred to the classroom to support all students. And there are several opportunities for staff collaborations as, as well. Um, so we also differentiate the support for related service providers, you know, because they are part of our school community as well. Because most of the time when we talk about professional development, uh, most times we 
think of teachers. Whereas we have more staff members in the building, you know, that support and ensure success for all students. So we differentiate support for other, you know, staff members as well. For example, the dedicated aid, the uh, related service provider. For example, the related service provider, we offer them a range of professional learning opportunities. You know, we've sent them to conferences, off-site training, professional learning community, you know, where they are the, where they are the driver of their own learning. Um, we've registered for a lot of modules and we, we have mentoring program in our, in our system to support, you know, new RSPs as well, as well as teachers and other form of professional development um, platforms to ensure that uh, they are equipped with the knowledge required to support all students and to um, ensure that all students are being included and participating in our program. Yeah, I really hear just as you're talking, um, just evidence of adult learning practices just woven in throughout. And so I can see how teachers are, are feeling engaged and have ownership over, over their own continued education. Um, and I think that's just such a great example for others listening. And I, I'm sure that there's so many who are wondering what advice would you give to them if they are trying to figure out how to build their their own teacher's capacity to use evidence-based practices? Yeah. Um, I would say the first thing to think about is um, the current state of things, right? You could do that by conducting a needs assessment to identify the gaps and make data-based or data-driven decisions um, around building stuff capacity and resource allocation. Um, I believe that is very important. Um, you need to understand the needs of the staff members. You know, then you can now build on that and make decisions around what would benefit them. So that's the first thing. I think another thing is um, collaboration with different stakeholders. Um, that is important for so many reasons. You know, one of them is for buying, because we also know from research that in order for any professional development initiative to be effective, there's a need for staff buying. So you want to make sure that you are collaborating with them in the process of conducting a needs assessment, as well as seeking for their input to build a robust professional development uh, program, you know, for your school staff. So the buying is very important. Also, buying from parents as well, you know, and there's also a need to establish partnership with different organizations and institutions um, that do the same thing that you do or align with your values and your, and your goals or the mission of the school. For example, at CMI, we partner with different organizations. You know, in DC, we have the DC Special Education Cooperative. Great organization that supports schools to better serve students with special needs. Uh, they bring together schools and community members to share ideas, leverage resources, and build capacity. So we've been part of this community for, for several years now. Uh, they've helped us a lot. So you don't need to do it alone you could partner 
You know, we also partner with Feedwork Education in the United Kingdom, you know, for our international curriculum. Um, they've been of a tremendous help to our program as well. Um, currently, the instructional leadership team, the HLT, is also partnering with Empower K-12. Uh, that's an organization in DC uh, that supports schools with data, providing timely, valid, and reliable data so that instructional leadership teams or leadership teams around DC could make sound decision, data-driven decisions, you know, to improve, to improve outcomes for all students. And we, so I'm saying all of this to know that you don't need to do by yourself. You need to partner, you know, uh, with youth resources from Council for Exceptional Children, um, CEC, National Council for Teachers of Mathematics, NCTN, Center for Applied Linguistics, CAL, and other uh, organizations uh, and institutions to help support our program. So if you are going to build a robust professional development plan, there's a need to establish partnerships with organizations that align with your values. Another thing is have a system for tracking and monitoring progress. Um, and I would recommend that the progress should be centered around students' achievements and data, as well as shift in instructional practices or teacher behavior. Um, because at the end of the day, the whole essence of doing this is to see students achieve, is to support and ensure that students are achieving their full potential and also uh, participating in an equitable way in the, in the learning environment. So I would suggest you have a very strong and reliable way of monitoring progress. Um, and that should be centered around you know, student achievements and shifts or changes in teacher practices. Mm, thank you so much for that. I'm wondering, whenever you mentioned about so much of the focus of using evidence-based practices and getting the staff up to speed with doing that is really around building their um, capacity and really like their efficacy. I'm wondering if you have any stories that come to mind from your um, experience supporting the staff in this way of seeing mindset changes or seeing changes in their um efficacy with using practices with learners that they may have struggled to effectively teach in the past? So I, I would say in order to, um, to ensure, to build staff capacity and ensure that staff members are actually gaining or like making sense of the support, there's a need to establish all support on data. That's number one. The second thing is to ensure that the professional learning opportunities are relevant to them, to their role, and also to help them align with the school mission. Um, again, I would say, you know, last year, last school year, the beginning was rough. You know, because students were just coming, you know, staff just coming back to the building after several months. Um, 
due to COVID-19. Um, and we, we, we noticed a lot of, of gaps, you know, because they've been, teachers have been out for a long time and um, we needed to put in place support that would meet their need. But I would say that at the point that we begin to, to implement the professional learning opportunities that we've planned for, and that happened around October last year, 2021, and November, we started to see some gains, you know, shift in teacher practices. Um, specifically, I would say that, let me use our middle school as an example. So last year, we had, you know, professional development for middle school teachers centered around inclusive practices. And we provided resources. We provided a lot of uh, research articles. We provided a lot of um, uh, support to ensure that they have a solid understanding of those practices. And we begin to notice, you know, changes in teaching language. For example, you know, teachers are now using inclusive languages, you know, to, 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 to describe students with special needs. Instead of saying, oh, that child, um, you know, should be with the special education teacher or inclusion teacher, then they now see the student as, as their home, you know, uh, and we share this collective responsibility, you know, for all students. So I think that in order to have a, a solid and a productive outcome, there's a need to ensure that no matter the, the professional learning opportunities align, you know, with the needs of, of the staff members. Yeah, that's a really strong point about the alignment. It seems to be a similar approach that you take with students. Learning needs, learning opportunities need to align with needs. Um, just one more follow-up question, if you have anything to add. You mentioned how important having the right partnerships are for your school in general for bringing in good professional development. And I'm wondering if there's any other resources that have been helpful to you or your staff for uh, training up on evidence-based practices or searching for effective practices that you'd want to call out to share? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's several resources out there, but I would strongly recommend the What Works Clearinghouse. Um, the site has great and robust research to support, you know, different practices, curricula, and, you know, school programs. So when you go to the site, you'll be able to see um, a lot of these things and also the research base for them. Um, so that's the first one I would recommend. I would also recommend uh, Council for Exceptional Achievement. I mentioned, I mentioned the organization earlier on. They focus on students with special needs and empowering practitioners to support them. Um, so I would recommend them as well. And they also have research um, um, aspects of their program or their, their offering as well. 
Um, so I highly recommend them. Um, if your school currently is looking into supporting English language learners or English learners, I would recommend Center for Applied Linguistics, CSCAL. Um, they have great resources. They have great uh, professional development opportunities. Um, so I would recommend those for now. If you're looking into mathematical instruction or math instruction, I would say look into National Council for Teachers of Mathematics, NCTM. They have great resources as well. Um, so I've been able to, you know, we've been able to partner with these organizations and use their resources in our program. And I believe that if you look into them, you'll be able to um, see uh, what they offer and also uh, use their resources as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Taiwo. Thank you so much for inviting me. We loved learning more about Creative Minds and thank you. Alrighty, so that is all for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Schools Spotlight Series. This podcast is brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. For more resources and practical approaches that educators can use to enhance opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities, check out the Educating All Learners Alliance resource library by visiting educatingalllearners.org and clicking the resources tab. To learn more about the work of the Center for Learner Equity, check out centerforlearnerequity.org. Thanks and tune in to the other episodes in the series.